Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stock. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything within her at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. Today I am super excited to have somebody on that I have wanted to have on for a really long time. Nikki Valens, how are you doing? I'm good. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for, you know, I, I always feel so nervous to ask people on Twitter to just drop into their DMs and be like, hey, uh, you want to come on my little show? <laughs> so thanks yeah of course i mean it's fine you gotta you gotta find a way to contact people it's fine yeah exactly so uh nikki has done a lot of different designs uh most of them i think all but one on your bgg at least is co-op uh yeah i like i like co-op games i like working with people to get things done and it's just kind of my vibe yeah me too. I love co-op, which is why your games are always such a hit with me. Like Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. Ah, just genius. That is one of the best games out there for me. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And then I'm re- like Mansions of Madness. I haven't played yet, but I've watched so many playthroughs of it because I'm just like, one of these days I need to get it and play this because this is like you, there's a story. You're working together. It's really hard. And I love that. Yeah, give it a chance if you can. There's some some really great stories in there and uh, a lot of opportunities for uh, sort of improvisational role play at the table with that one. Oh, which I love. We, uh, yeah. Improv. I mean, you kind of have like a, uh, like a, you started making a source book, like a tabletop role-playing source book way back in the day, right? Yeah, like I haven't actually published it or anything, but I've spent a a fair amount of my pre-professional game design uh, career as doing like just making my own RPG systems or like making supplements for other RPG systems and stuff like that. So I've got, I've got, quite a few years of of role playing and GMing under my, my belt. Yeah. Which I think shows in the games you create because it has this very like narrative driven, uh, tie in Mm -hmm. motivates people and, and really helps people invest. So, Hey, I appreciate that. (laughs) Nice. Do you, do you find yourself playing very many role playing games nowadays? Not as much these days as I used to. Uh, I actually miss it quite a lot. Um, I haven't, I haven't gotten to run a game for for quite a while. I just haven't had time. Um, and 
all of my friends are kind of in the same position. We're all just so busy that it's hard to, you know, kind of get a group together with any amount of regularity. Uh, I've done some one shots here and there that have been really fun. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of kind of starting to to settle into a place from like I want to try to find try to find some more games to play. Nice. Yeah, it's good. I uh, I do an actual play podcast as well. And the reason I did that was because then it kind of forced people to uh, stick to a certain schedule. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a way to trick your friends into playing games with you. (laughs) That's kind of the reason I started uh, streaming on Twitch, actually, is yeah, had realized that I hadn't played video games in a really long time and I missed it. And the only way I could hold myself accountable to actually play some video games on a regular basis was to be like, hey, I'm going to stream it. Someone come watch me and like keep me in check. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's so cool. Do you have you been streaming for very long? I can't. I didn't look at how long you've been doing it. Um, I've been streaming for about a year now, uh, but yeah, it has been about a year now. Only the first couple months of it were just kind of like a little bit more scattershot. And then I made a push around New Year's, like leading up to New Year's to um, try to get to affiliate. And so I just streamed a whole bunch and got some some followers and some subs. And I've just kind of been doing my, my twice a week streams ever since then. That's awesome. Are there certain games you like? I've watched only a couple of them uh, and never live, unfortunately. Uh, as my listeners know, live is always the hardest thing for me to watch. But, mm-hmm. but I like watching the VOD. I like that that's available. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, are there certain games you like to do? Um, it kind of depends. Like, I, I kind of just have been playing whatever just strikes my fancy. Uh, I. I played Breath of the Wild for a long while there because I was just kind of like getting back into, um, I don't know, that game is just great. So like yeah. <laughs> being, being able to play it again was just really fun and kind of re-experiencing it. Uh, but I've been playing some puzzle games some some tactical games. Um, there's kind of, kind of a lot of different things. Uh, just kind of whatever, whatever kind of pops up and catches my interest. Yeah, I know you the one of the ones I recently watched, you know, to check it out before I started before we got this interview going was uh, the cadence. What is that called? Uh, Cadence of Hyrule. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a crossover between Zelda and um, Crypt of the Necrodancer. So it's it's like a tactical. uh, Exploration roguelike type of a game. Um, although Cadence isn't, uh, Cadence isn't really a roguelike. It's it's more of kind of the classical adventure uh, Zelda format, but like to the mechanics of uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. So it's it's very like every every step that you take, uh, all of the enemies will also do something. So it's kind of this like almost chess like tactics combat where you have to like think about what's going to happen every time you make a move and be thinking a couple of moves ahead so you don't get your stuff yourself stuck in a corner or something. It's pretty yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. I loved watching you play it because uh, that fascinated me. I knew, like, the concept and I had seen stuff for it, but after watching you play it, I was like, should I get this game? I probably should get this game because I love that, like, tactical 
feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so normally, so like Crypt of the Necrodancer is actually rhythm-based, uh, and Cadence of Hyrule is that same way. I've just gone into the accessibility settings and turned off the rhythm mode because it stresses me out way, way too much. Uh, so I'm, I've just been playing it sort of as a, a turn-based game, basically. But That's... Uh, because I downloaded a demo forever ago and I was like, holy cow, this is weird and weirdly hard. Like I'm even a musical person, but I'm having a hard time because you have to like kind of keep with the beat, right? Yeah, yeah. Every every move that you make, you want to make it to the actual rhythm of the music. And the music in this game is phenomenal. If you yes. haven't like if any anyone listening to this hasn't heard the soundtrack for Cadence of Hyrule, go find it somewhere because it's incredible. Uh, great, great working music. Uh, but yeah, so like every step you take, if you do it on the beat of whatever the background music is, it kind of builds up this meter that makes your attack stronger and gives you like extra defense and stuff. So like the more on the beat you are, the uh, better you'll be able to just kind of perform overall. And then if you ever get, if you ever like make a move that's not within the rhythm, or uh, I believe if you take damage, it'll like just kind of like annihilate the meter that you've built up so far. So you have to kind of like rebuild it from scratch. Uh, so it's a little bit like you, you get into a really good groove with it. Um, however, I'm not super good at that part of it. So <laughs> it just stresses me out way too much. So I just had to turn that off so I could just kind of uh, enjoy the, the art and the music and uh the kind of interesting puzzles and stuff that it gives. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I didn't know that was an option, so I may have to try that. My wife always teases me because I like I'm like oh, I like to play video games to relax, and I'm always yelling at the TV or something like, "Oh, come on!" Like I, mm-hmm. I jumped, I jumped, you know. <laughs> and uh, and she's like, "That doesn't seem very relaxing," but it is. It is mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> yeah, and I say this all the time, like regarding uh, board games, especially like. House rules are there to make the game more fun for you and your group. Like, it's important to, you know, enjoy your games. That's what you're playing them for, uh, usually. So, uh, yeah. whenever people are kind of hesitant about, uh, you know, using house rules or changing a rule that they're not really happy with in a game, I always am very vocal about just like, yeah, just do it. Like, it's your game. You can, you can do what you want with your game. Um, so it's really nice that um, a lot of video games, uh, especially indie games, are kind of going that direction as well with adding some really good accessibility options and stuff for being able to play these games in kind of different ways so that they're just they're just more, you know, wider, wider, wider audience. It's easier for people to get into them when they can kind of set their own rules. Absolutely. I think... For a long time, people just kind of made games, both board games and video games, that without uh, accessibility in mind, you know, they Mm -hmm. just, you know, well, the audience is big enough that we don't need to be accessible to everyone. And I like that we've been growing to be like, no, we should be including those other people, everybody, you know, that we can. Yeah, I agree. So with that, have you... You know, from the start of your design journey to now, has have you learned uh, certain things to help with accessibility? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it, 
I mean, it's it's one of those things that I'm I'm constantly trying to learn how to do better and you know, take steps towards making it true in my own games and and uh helping to make it true in any other games that people have me work on, but like back when I started, it it wasn't something that was on my mind too much. I hadn't really you know, consider that those were uh, things were that important. And as I kind of got more used to seeing people and playing games with people, I, I realized that all these things were really important. And just kind of learning all of the different ways in which you can just make games a little bit more accessible to people has been like a, a cool journey and a good learning experience. And it's it's a never-ending, you know, learning exercise you you never really are done learning how to how to do that uh you just kind of keep finding new ways that you can just improve um, but it's it's good uh, I, I mean i started out with thinking of just kind of the most basic level of accessibility stuff that you can really do of like hey is this ui for my game you know colorblind friendly and stuff like that um but just as as time has gone on and I've worked with it more and more, just finding all of these other ways of like how how can these games just be easier to play and uh more accessible and everything else. Yeah. With artisans of a spl- uh artisans of splendent veil, um I think it's I said that name. right. I, <laughs> I it's love a very it. Weird name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so great. Did you come up with the name? I did, yeah. I say it's a weird name, but I'm the one that came up with it. So. <laughs> I love it. It's got such a fun, uh, look, like you hear that and you're like, okay, well, what's this? You know, uh, but it has a lot of colors, really fun art. Uh, did you find colorblind issues in that? Did you have to, do you know if you had to rework that much or the artists? Um, so a lot of the art and stuff in that isn't like as functional i guess like the board art the environment art is more functional which we we did work on like making sure any iconography or uh borders and stuff that are in the art itself for the boards is very distinctive colors and very like uh they have a high enough contrast that you'd be able to see those regardless of of like what kind of color vision restrictions you have or anything else yeah um but otherwise like that whole game is I guess there's there is quite a few uh mechanical art pieces in that because there's even like parts of the maps and um environment images where you're like searching for things in them as well. I did a lot of interesting things in that game. It's been a little <laughs> while since I've finished it. <laughs> Just kind of like thinking back and forgetting all of the things that I did. Uh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that one unfortunately isn't as um, accessible as I would have liked it to be, um, because there's a lot of there is a lot of reading in it, and um, because you have a different book for each character, uh, you are kind of expected to have to read your own text. Um, so it's uh, potentially going to be a little bit harder for you know any of the younger players that. Um, can't keep up with kind of the the reading comprehension level that's there or uh unfortunately like things like dyslexia or something aren't are, are going to be a 
a fairly big challenge for this game specifically, but we yeah. I was trying to find, you know, fonts and stuff that we could use that would be at least um, more readable. Uh, there are there are fonts out there that are a bit better for for dyslexia in general, um, but it's also it's really hard to find just a a cure all font for something like that because everyone's everyone who has dyslexia it affects them slightly differently. Um, so there's there's some fonts where a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, this is so much easier. I can read this really well. And other people will just be like, nope, still useless. Can't read that. <laughs> that is so fascinating to me. Uh, like I have some dyslexia. And so for me, a lot of times numbers are the hardest things. Like if there's, mm. if you're saying like, there's two sets of four that if they're higher than 15 or whatever, I'll like mix those, those numbers always get jumbled together for me. Sure. And it's so weird because my brain sometimes doesn't even catch it. And somebody will point it out and be like, what? And then I'll go back and read it very slowly. And it's like, oh, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like 100 percent. I believed that I read it, you know, right. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't I've never explored the different font thing. And even just how did they research all that? You know, like, how did they discover, hey, this person can read this same thing better in a different font because if i were to read you know something in a different font if if i was reading the same thing in a different font i guess i would already know what it should say because i experienced it once yeah i'm, I'm not sure how um i'm not sure how people go about like testing those different things uh the ways that i've done it is just kind of like taking just kind of chunks of text um and just kind of putting them in different fonts uh and trying to read them myself and then kind of having some people that I know uh read over them and tell me if they struggled with any different parts of it I uh, I've noticed in kind of doing my research about uh dyslexic friendly fonts it has a lot to do with like the size of similar shapes and loops and things. So like a lot of English letters, for instance, will have like some form of circle or loop or like a tail or something in them. And like mm. having those be different, like slightly different sizes or shapes um, helps a lot of people. Um, so having fonts that specifically are going out of their way to make like a B, a D, a P, and a Q, and a G all have like, you know, slightly different shapes and sizes. So they're not all essentially just a circle with a stick coming out of it. <laughs> then it's, it kind yeah. Of that literally just blew my mind because as you say that, like yesterday, I had that happen where somebody said, I'm turning 29 in six days. And I thought they said, I'm turning six in 29 days. And I was like, that's not right. You are a very, you know, like, and that <laughs> it was because the, Maybe they were born on a leap year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, those loops, the six and the nine, and they can blur together to me. And then as I think about like, I'll often switch things. If you have like B words and P words and D words all next to each other, that's when mm -hmm. I start to get jumbled. And wow, I never realized what it was. Oh my gosh, you might have just changed my life. So yeah, there's some there's some really interesting uh, research out there about uh, about dyslexia and and like different fonts and stuff that you might want to look into. There's some cool stuff. Yeah, you also might find that as you're looking at it, you'll 
you'll have what I talked about earlier, where some of them are like, oh yeah, this one's really good. And then other ones, it's like, a lot of people will say like, oh, this is the font that I like to use. And you'll be like, nope, that one's bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Um, (laughs) Well, what is it about co-op exactly that you love? Like, what draws you to that? Um, it's it's a number of factors. Uh, the main one is just kind of like I really like working together with you know my friends or family to kind of accomplish the same goal. Um, I'm not a very competitive person at heart. Uh, I don't really like I don't really like playing competitive games that much because whether I'm good at them or bad at them is kind of irrelevant. Like it it just kind of feels more adversarial, um, and I like to. I just kind of like want to enjoy my time with my friends and kind of like be working toward the same goal so that if any one of us is struggling with something, you know, someone else can kind of be like, oh, well, we could do it like this or we could try this way or something. And kind of it's just more community driven, more more like helping each other, uh, which I just kind of I like that. I don't know. It feels good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's how I feel. So I just wanted to double check on that. You know, <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite co-op game? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It, it changes every day. Um, the, I, I think. I'll, today I'll say it's Magic Maze. I like I like Magic Maze okay. a lot. Uh, it's it's got a very cool. Like everyone's working together to try to accomplish the same goal, but then. Uh, overcoming the like uh, the restricted communication between everybody. Uh, actually, I should just explain what Magic Maze is. So you're <laughs> you're you're working together to control these four different pawns on a board that's just kind of being generated as you're exploring it. Um, a little bit like Escape or some of those other games. Um, but the the goal is like to get each of these four pawns to a specific spot on the map, and then uh, once that's done, you have to get them all, like, out of this, uh, like, essentially a dungeon thing that they're in. It's, it's uh, thematically, it's a mall. It's like a fantasy mall that they're in. Yeah. Um, but there's a timer in it, and you're not allowed to talk to each other except at very specific spots. And each player only controls certain actions. Um, but everyone is working together to control all four of the pawns. So I might only be able to move pawns to the north uh, whilst moving them in other directions or doing other things is the responsibility of the other players. Um, So basically I have to be paying attention to all four of these pawns at the same time, be understanding where we're trying to get them so that I can move them north whenever that needs to happen because I'm the only person that can do it. Um, which leads to really uh, goofy like interactions and like team play stuff where if one person isn't on the same like wavelength as to like what we're trying to do right now as the others, uh, people will keep looking at that person like you need to do the thing. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And you start to have this like, um, I'll, I'll move this piece. And they're like, no, 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 they move that piece back. And you're like, oh, I'll move this piece then. <laughs> and you're just, they just kind of like are doing stuff. Uh, one of my favorite stories from that, I was playing with uh, some coworkers back when I was at FFG, and uh, we were 
like everyone is, was clearly in agreement. Like we knew where this one pawn had to get to and everyone kept like trying to like get it to go that way. And we needed, we needed like the one player who had the direction, the movement of direction that we had to, to move it. And we kept looking at him and like trying to, trying to get him to do the thing. And he's like, he's like clearly like just doing like what, this isn't this isn't working this isn't what we need to do like now kind of face at us and like kind of moving things back and we're trying to like no no we gotta we gotta go this we gotta wait this way and then eventually like he finally makes the move that we wanted him to make but it but it he doesn't like move it quite as far as we thought and then we all kind of look at the board and we're like oh and like as a group we all had this collective realization that there was a wall on the board that none of us saw except for him. And oh we were goodness. all just like, oh, okay, yeah. Kind of like, and then we just started moving it around in a different path to get there. But it was like <laughs> such a cool moment where like literally the entire group except for one person just didn't understand the task at hand. And like, as soon as we hit that one wall, we were just like, oh, oh yeah, you were right the whole time. Okay, we'll go your yeah. way now. <laughs> Uh, I love that. And I love that in co-op when co-op games uh, get that moment where it's just like you have a frustration with a certain player because you don't realize something, you know, and, and mm-hmm. then when you do realize that you're like, oops, my bad. Hey, we're cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's, there's which, some really fun moments, uh, especially with uh, like the the restricted communication type um, co-op games. I think looking back on it. Um, so I only in the last few years here have found out that I'm autistic. Uh, uh-huh. so for a lot of my career, I didn't know that. Um, and I didn't really understand why I had a lot of trouble communicating with people. So these limited communication cooperative games have always felt really interesting to me. Um, and looking back on it, like I now have kind of a, a better understanding of why that is like when you cut off everyone's normal way of communicating with each other um it kind of puts everyone at the same level in terms of like how do you um accomplish this goal uh so for me as someone who always struggled to be able to communicate with people it's like oh i feel like i'm finally like you know able to work with people on the same level as they are at in terms of communicating with them um so like those games always feel really interesting because like I know I'm, I know I'm like working toward the same goal, and like we all have the same frustration of like how do I, how do I convey this information that I need to convey without being able to just say it. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. There's a, a number of games like that, and like obviously, Quirky Circuits is one of my games that I did that with as well. Where there's limited communication. Um, yeah, I was about I to ask, like, is that partially why you did Quirky Circuits that way, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Quirky Circuits originally started with, like, I, I wanted a cooperative programming game, action programming game, and there just wasn't any, like, out there that really satisfied what I wanted. There was, there was like, a few of them, but they're not, they just didn't quite do what I wanted. Um, so I was just like, I'll just make my own. It's fine. Um, and I originally started it knowing, like, I would like this to be a limited communication cooperative game, um, because that just works really well with the, the action programming aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then as I was, uh, trying to figure out how to get some of it 
to to like work um i suddenly realized that the the idea of having like players taking turns doing a thing was restricting me in a way that i didn't like and i realized like oh i could just do something similar to like what the mind does where it's not about uh taking turns it's about like knowing what comes next and being able yeah. to make the, the correct play uh so i kind of switched it over to to that which really made the the design all come together and kind of function which is really cool yeah oh absolutely i i haven't gotten to play it yet but um, it has been on my sh- my wish list for a long time. I just never see it at my local game store. I probably should just order it online at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, the um, so we we released another box, a smaller box that's uh, only twenty dollars. That should be in like Barnes and Noble and a little bit easier accessible. Um, oh, that one. Oh, is that the standalone expansion one? The yeah, it's. Uh, it's called like Penny and Gizmo's Snow Day or something like that. That's right. Yes. <clears throat> um, so it uses uh, Gizmo is one of the robots from the the original version of the game, um, which is a, a Roomba with a cat riding it. Right. And uh, Penny is a new robot that wasn't in the original game. That is a a penguin who kind of like slides around and does stuff. Um. Yeah. So there's. Uh, a, a few levels for both of those two robots in there. It's a much smaller package, so it's only twenty dollars instead of uh, the like fifty, I believe the original was. Um, so it's a little bit easier to get into. Um, and I tried to design the flow of like what levels you're getting. Like like each page that you turn, if you just did it in the book order, is a little bit more like teaching you the concepts of the game as you go, whereas um, the original release, I didn't really do that as much, and I think the the flow of the game and learning the game suffers as a result. So I'm really proud of kind of the the design of this this uh, smaller version of it. Yeah, that that is really fascinating to hear, and I I've heard that from a few designers, uh, especially with co op games, where after the fact they realize I should have reorganized stuff or provided some sort of like play it in this order to mm-hmm. help progression. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out. I mean, I would happily spend the full price because I've never heard a bad thing about this. But actually, one of my past guests who do you prefer? Um, some people prefer autistic and some people prefer has autism. Do you have a preference? I, I just go with autistic. It's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. I just wanted to check. Uh, so my friend that has uh, is autistic and he this is his favorite game is quirky circuit circuit oh cool i love it because like it just it's so fun and funny and that the interesting moves and like uh trying to guess what people are doing and it it kind of puts everybody in at the same level as me um, Mm -hmm. where like i don't always necessarily understand certain things uh and in here nobody else does either so yeah everybody's that's, trying to understand logically that's really cool that it's kind of the uh the same thing that i was talking about <laughs> yeah exactly so when you were talking about that i thought about that friend and i was like oh that's brilliant um <laughs> but then also other friends talk about just how much they laugh and love the joy this game brings them so mm-hmm. um, i think it'll be a hit for me and my wife plus 
cats on a cat on his uh, Roomba, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have pets? No to that? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't have any pets right now. Um, my apartment doesn't really allow them. Um, I'm also, I, I don't know. I'm not really in a place in my life right now where I'm like I want to feel responsible for another <laughs> living creature. Um, I think, you know, killing my house plants is is good enough. <laughs> yeah we uh i feel that we have a lot of pets but our house plants still die plenty Uh, and part of that is because we have pets and they love to tear things out of soil Mm, that happens yeah yeah um with that i get is it okay to talk about uh being autistic and gaming and everything yeah it's fine okay if you prefer not we're totally fine no we're good okay cool um so do you find, I, I was curious about this the other day uh, uh, with like RPGs and stuff where uh, do you prefer leading a game or being a, a player? Um, I think they're very different experiences. I like doing both of them, but I, I tend to approach like each side of it in a very different way. Um, if I'm running a game and kind of like making the content myself, it's... I, I do it a lot more similar to how I design like board games, um, where I try to like have a bunch of stuff prepared ahead of time, and um, you know, be able to just kind of provide uh, the players with like interesting story and interaction moments and puzzles and, and stuff like that. Um, but it definitely takes any. I mean, anyone who's GM'd or tried to GM knows it takes a lot of time and effort to. Um, to like continuously run a game. Yes. Uh, but when I come into a game as a player, um, I tend to, I tend to just not worry about a lot of that as much. Uh, I just kind of like, I'm, I kind of, I'm kind of just there to like, to improv and to be a part of the story in whatever happens. Um, so usually I'll, I'll make a character and, I'll kind of just give them enough of a what are their motivations, what's their driving, you know, force, like what do, what do they like, what do they dislike, um, right. so that in any given situation, I can kind of just embody them as a character and just be like, okay, what would this, how, how would this character actually react right now? And just kind of do it very, you know, in the moment um, type of reactions and stuff instead of trying to think too far ahead about different things um, but I also use um, I also use role playing as a way to sort of explore who I am as a person um, so a lot of you know finding myself like figure, figuring out my gender and figuring out like what my autism means to me and different things like that uh, are things I've explored in like in actual role playing games, like as characters and stuff, I'll just play characters that are like different genders than I am, and just kind of see what that is like. It's kind of like just trying on a personality or a different identity for a bit, and just being like, "What would this be like to kind of to be like this?" Um, and I've learned a lot of things about myself as a result, um, which is is really fun. That's that's fascinating. I love that. 
Was there a certain moment where you like realized they them for you? One of those role playing characters was actually a big big factor in that. Uh, so I had I had been for for quite a while um, felt a little out of place in like like women's get together type stuff. So like FFG, for instance, we had like a ladies lunch type of a thing where we would just kind of like we would all get together and just kind of have lunch together you know, once a month or something just to kind of, you know, have that camaraderie with each other. Um, and I, I started feeling kind of out of place because my experiences are, are very different than a cis woman's is. And uh, around like a little bit after kind of, I was feeling that for a while, uh, I had an opportunity to create a character that could just be non-binary and go by they them and just kind of experience what that would be like to you know be in my friend group and have people using they them pronouns with me uh and it felt it just felt more right like more like i felt more comfortable in it so like after playing that character for a, a few sessions i was like Hey, I think I want to be they them in real life too. <laughs> and just kind of like it just kind of came out of that. That is so cool. Well, I'm glad you got to experience that and be able to have that uh I did you do that with your group there, kind of your like uh telling them first and I guess sort of coming out, right? Uh kind of. It was it it, it didn't really happen like in a session or anything um it was kind of just a realization that i had over the course of those sessions and then just kind of telling people um kind of in our own you know private interactions and stuff yeah well that's really cool um thanks for sharing that so yeah yeah there's all I- kinds of, of good stuff that you can do with with role playing it's a really it's a really strong medium for kind of learning about yourself and um, sort of self-analyzing and being able to, I guess I don't, I don't want to say like improve yourself. That's not the word I'm looking for, but like there's, there's, there's a lot of those like psychological benefits to being able to explore your, yourself in a non-destructive, low impact way. Oh yeah. I, I, have found that even, you know, like as I'm improvising characters while doing it, a lot of the times they'll naturally be male. And I'm like, holy, wow, look at this like subliminal bias that I have that like when somebody's when they're like, oh, I want to go talk to somebody on the street. I'm just like, well, there's this guy. And it's it's like 90 percent of the time it's a guy. And I'm like, wow, I need to really adjust that, like, which was eye opening for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. One of those weird things that I'm just I'm sure I never would have realized it had it not been for that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm a sexist person. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that bias exists for everybody. The uh, if if you just you know t- took took a random like, oh, imagine a person like you're you're gonna end up imagining a person that's similar to you. That's like similar to the majority of people that you are around and that you've seen that's very true yeah just it's kind of a psychology it's that safe space of that comfort 
of familiarity, I guess. Mm -hmm. I have skipped so many of the standard questions of this because we've just (laughs) gone off, which is fine. I don't think I'll go back to a lot of them because I'm sure that you've answered. How did you get into board games? How did you get into design on other podcasts? Right? Yeah. Everybody asks me that. Yeah. (laughs) So I think we can just skip that unless you feel like, you know what? I really want to talk about it. I mean, we kind of already talked about it a little bit, like starting with role-playing design and, and stuff like that. True. Uh, well, then this part of the show, I usually transfer over to what you do outside of board gaming. So we've talked about role playing. We've talked about video games. Are there other things you like to do outside of board gaming? Um, I like to read and watch like different animation and stuff. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan of comics and animation as a medium. Um, I think it's it's a very accessible, but also the kind of the artistry to it is is really interesting um so like a lot of a lot of the time when i'm watching animation i i'm doing the same thing that i do when i um when i play games a lot of times when i'm playing games i'm i'm actually just analyzing them i'm not really playing them that much uh so i'm more just like breaking them down and thinking about the design of them uh and i do that a lot with animation as well where i'm thinking about like how you know, the animation is being put together and when style changes happen and stuff like that, I'm very aware of it. Um, so like w- one of the things, probably the most common thing when my partner and I are, are watching something is something will happen and I'll just go like, oh, that's a cool art shift or like, oh, that was really good animation right there. Uh, it's just kind of like a comment that I just am constantly making um, and my, my partner is, is also a, an artist and an animator. So like they're really into it as well. So we, we just kind of nerd out about different animation stuff and, and whatnot. That's really cool. Do you have, Hmm, I don't necessarily, I do want to ask, do you have favorite shows or, or things like that? But also, is there a favorite style you like? Mm, I wouldn't say there's a favorite style that I have. Um, every different type of story and different characters and stuff have like really good ways that they get shown. And like, even, even within, uh, you know, groupings of different animation and stuff that you would think about, there's still like all of these really different details in it. So like a lot of people, for instance, think of, you know, Japanese animation as being like a very specific style, but like, it's it's not really like there's tons of different variations within um, that kind of you know anime esque look uh, and how each of those gets you know put together and like how they handle different types of scenes is is very different um, and I think every story kind of has its own needs um, that the animation can meet in different ways. Um, so something that's, you know, very calm or kind of chill, like a like a, a a Ghibli movie, for instance, is, you know, it's it's very soft. the The lines are very rounded. Um, there's like softer colors um, and stuff like that. Whereas if you look at something like uh, High Q, which is a um, a volleyball sports anime, uh, that is it's much sharper, it's much brighter, 
the animation is very quick. And whenever they have like really tense moments of like, they're in a tournament right now and they're going to do this, this cool play and they spike the ball and like the animation style is just like changing shot to shot as the like action is playing out because it like helps to convey each of those individual moments. So like the moment that they like go to spike the ball is like the, the entire art style basically changes and you get this like almost like slow motion uh really cinematic moments with it and stuff like that that's rad i even as you're describing it i'm picturing all these different like see i've never seen this show but uh mm-hmm. you know like i'm just picturing that different like i you know and, and i a lot of animes they do like the background will go away and it'll be like bubble effects or line effects star effects whatever it is yeah um, yeah and there's a lot of ways like that to just kind of show moods and emotions and stuff as well yeah Uh, i will say if if you're into animation at all um whether you like volleyball or not haikyuu is actually a really good like show to just check out because the animation in it is really really good and the the ways that they specifically use different animation styles and different art styles to kind of convey all of the different scenes is is very cool um it it'll really get you kind of jazzed up about um about volleyball whether you care about it or not because <laughs> i love volleyball they, they do some really cool stuff that's rad i'll have to check it out high q yeah uh like just how do you how do, it's it's let me i have to type it so that i can try to remember how to spell it uh, so the romanization is H A I K Y U U. Okay. That I would not have gotten that. I was thinking it was going to be like, you know, high school Q, something like that, mm, but yeah. nope, way it's, off. It's, <laughs> it's the Japanese onomatopoeia for, um, spiking the ball, I believe. Oh, really? It's, I think that's I what it do. is. Like that, like. I don't know. Do they say that while they spike the ball? No, it's or just, is, it's just like like uh, slam or bop or you know okay. all those the different like things that show up in like superhero comics. Pow! Yeah, thwip <laughs> <laughs> thwip. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, cool. I'll have to check that out. Uh, are, are there other things you enjoy doing outside of those? Um. I like gardening and stuff. Uh, I say that I kill my house plants, but I, at this point, I really only have one left that I've kind of figured out how to actually take care of it. Uh-huh. Um, we don't have, we're just in an apartment, um, but we have a balcony. So I've got like a flower box outside that I do a little bit of gardening in, uh, in spring and summer when I can. I like, I like greenery. I like being surrounded by just nature. <laughs> yeah oh that's great i'm we lived in a the wrong way facing apartment i can't think mm. of the direction right now so we could literally like our balcony we'd put things out there nothing would grow inside the house all the windows didn't ever get the right lighting plus cats inside so we yeah. just never were able to grow anything our balcony is east facing um but doesn't get it it's not doesn't get like a lot of good light from the south, uh, and we're in Minnesota here, so we're way up north. So the south, mm. south facing 
windows and, and balcony and stuff is is really where you get a lot of the sunlight for us. Uh, so I can't really grow things that want like a lot, a lot of sun because they're just not going to get it for half of the day, uh, which is pretty unfortunate. <laughs> but the the east facing windows at least means that it's easier to get up in the morning. There'll just be some light, you know, thrown in my eyes, and I'll just be like, "Okay, fine, I'm up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> well, I didn't prep you for this next part, but oh, no. oh boy, testing your improv here. Here we go. So this part of the show, we do ridiculous theme. We both come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. And uh, it doesn't mean it's like a bad idea or it's just something silly or or something you think would be a crazy theme for a board game. So I've had this idea for a while and I don't even know what it means. And I've never even taken the time to figure out what it means. But I have in my notes a board game that is essentially just a Renaissance painting. Oh, okay. I, I have literally no clue what that means. It's it's just there. It just lives in my head. <laughs> Interest. Like already, you know, I'm picturing some Renaissance style paintings. Do you think you because those would be um, copyright free public domain? But yeah, you could use a lot of that artwork. I almost go to, uh, you know, like, wow, I am blanking on so many things. What's that treasure? hunting movie with Nicolas Cage. National uh, Treasure. National Treasure, yeah. Yeah, where like you hide clues in these paintings that you have to like mm-hmm. find together and maybe string them together in a certain order to mean something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of like escape room type puzzles. Yeah. Part of me wants to have it include like jigsaw puzzles in some capacity. <laughs> <laughs> that could be cool. I don't know if there's like a way you can do like like multi-layered jigsaw puzzles where like you're you're painting over the the thing as you're going basically as if you're like building up layers of of paint in this painting yeah well i wonder with things like uh oh my gosh how am i forgetting names the one with the clear thing canvas i don't what like like the thing that you're painting on like a canvas what's the board game Oh, with the clear cards. Yeah. Well, I was, I was even thinking like like doing double layer punch board is a thing that you, we do in in games sometimes, like to yeah. get different effects. But like being able to literally do that, where like oh. it's it's multiple layers of the punch board. Basically, imagine if you took like a jigsaw puzzle and you just put it down, and then you put another jigsaw puzzle on top of it and just glued it down, and then like you were able to break up all those pieces so that you have like you're like building the bottom layer of the jigsaw puzzle that's on the table but there's on an, enough of these pieces you know like another piece essentially stuck to it that's a one layer above that so it's like it's part of that bottom layer in terms of the art but you can still attach more pieces to it to kind of like create something that's over top of the original layer that is pretty mind blowing. That would be really cool. I love that idea. See that that's way more innovative than what I was thinking. So <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that exists. That might exist already. I'll have to look for that. That's a really neat um, jigsaw puzzle idea. It really is. It's funny how often like I had a game that I did like a quick prototype and I took it to my design meeting the other day. And I was mm-hmm. like, I've never seen a game like this. And then they named like 
four games that use the same type of thing. I was like, well, that's cool. Cool. Yep. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. But you just try and make it your own, you know, mm-hmm. do something different with it. So yeah, I, yeah, I love that idea. That's very fun. Uh, mine, because we were talking about, you know, killing plants, I could almost see like a Toy Story-esque style game where your house plants that have bad caretakers. And so you're trying to like move yourself a little bit to get the most light or like extend your roots over and put like a leaf up in the sunlight somehow, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, something like that. Moving, like that. moving plants. <laughs> so the, the the one house plant I have left is a pothos plant. So they're these just vines that'll just kind of keep going until you, they're, they're pretty easy to just like be able to cut a vine off and like just kind of transplant them and like propagate them, uh, which I haven't done yet, but I, we've had this one for a while now. It's just kind of, kind of going. Um, one of, a, at some point months and months ago, uh, one of its vines just got onto the table that it was next to and just kind of started growing that direction. Um, so there's just like, it essentially just has like an arm that's just kind of like going behind our TV and it just kind of keeps going that direction. And it's got like some other limbs that are just kind of like going off in different ways. And it, yeah. that's really cool. It's just kind of exploring, it's just exploring the space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Hey, what's over here? <laughs> Plants I think are really interesting. I work with like soil for my my day job so you'd think i'd be a better Mm. gardener but i'm not what do you do with soil i use biologicals to help make the soil healthy so that oh it grows better yeah lots of bacteria and fungi nice the good stuff yeah exactly um it's funny actually because i'm allergic to grass and i work a lot with grass uh and then i'm also allergic to grass are you really a, a great hatred for lawns yeah, I rarely, t- I feel so bad because, well, our neighborhood, people don't take care of their grass that much. So my grass being a little bit overgrown from time to time uh, isn't so bad. It's just hard for me to be like, I'm going to go mow the lawn and then be itchy all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if or when I eventually have a house, I'm absolutely just going to tear up all of the grass and just make it all garden. And if we need more ground covering, I'm just going to put in like clover of some kind. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that. It looks great. Mm-hmm. There's so many prettier things than grass. Uh- <laughs> like grass is a is a a very cool, very wonderful thing that should definitely exist in the places where grass is meant to exist in the world, and not in my lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's very. That's a very good way of putting it. The savanna, great place for grass. Does does wonders there. Grass is excellent there in the savanna. Uh, here in my yard, no, no, thank you. All it does is waste water and make me itch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. See, you get it. I keep thinking about doing something like that in our front yard, at least getting rid of some of it. Mm-hmm. So it's less to maintain. But anyways, yeah, grass. Ugh. I forget where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, I used to be a germaphobe until I worked with bacteria all the time. And now I'm like, drop something on the ground. I'm like, well, whatever, like... <laughs> I'll still eat it, you know? (laughs) So that's one thing I got over. Obviously, allergies I can't just get over. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up? 
Um, yeah. Well, if, if people want to follow me, um, Twitter is actually the best way to do that. Just kind of see what I'm up to. Um, my Twitter handle is uh, at Valens116. Uh, so it's just V-A-L-E-N-S-116. Um, that's pretty much the, the easiest place to kind of see what I'm up to or just kind of chat at me if you want to. I also have been doing some streaming. Um, so I'm on Twitch at Balanced Breakfast. It's like Balanced Breakfast, but with a V, <laughs> because I'm a pun-obsessed uh, weirdo. I love it. It's great. <laughs> it makes me smile every time I see that hashtag Balanced Breakfast. I'm like, yeah, yeah I dig I, this. <laughs> I stream twice a week, which isn't a lot, but it is enough that like the notifications probably get annoying. So I've I hashtag all of my um, stream announcements in case anyone just wants to mute that because they don't give a shit about that stuff. Oh, interesting. That's a smart reason to like. Yeah, I mean, people are following me for like the board game stuff, and they don't want to watch me play video games. That's fine. Yeah, but yeah. Also, uh, Artisans of Splendid Vale is coming out very soon. We would have hoped that it was would have been already out, but there was some delays with you know everything going on. Um, so hopefully, it should be coming out within the next you know. I, I hope the next month here. Um, but yeah, you can check that out. It's still available for pre-order and everything. You can pre-order it directly from the Renegade uh, Games website. So Artisans of Splendid Vale, if you want to check that out, is a cool cooperative story game that's um, very character-driven, um, very very role-playing inspired, uh, as well as different like storybook and just kind of cooperative tactical type stuff. I'm really excited. I think that it's gonna. We got like a fairly new uh game group that i think will love this so yeah uh and then also since i mentioned it before uh the quirky circuit snow day uh which is a standalone is available in in barnes and noble and should be available in other places as well perfect love it any teases to what comes next do you know yet Mm, i don't i don't think i should say anything too specific uh but i will say that originally when i started working on artisans i was trying to figure out how to make a roguelike game concept work in board games and obviously artisans did not become that but i haven't quite dropped that desire just yet so i'll just leave it at that Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Nikki, for coming on and chatting with me. That was an awesome conversation we had. I'll try and go over the rest of my stuff really quick. Huge thank you to both David Rodriguez from All Games New and Old and to Chris Barrows from the Tabletop Express. They both had pushed me to ask Nikki Valens on the show, and I was so nervous because I, like, from the very beginning, I wanted to have Nikki Valens on because I just admire them so much. And I wouldn't have done it without that push. So thank you. I've got some more exciting guests coming up. I don't want to jinx it and say it and then have it not work out. But uh, I'm excited for future interviews here. And speaking of all games new and old, a couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to go onto his channel and he interviewed me. And then we had a fun, silly debate about whether miniatures or acrylic standees were better. So you should go check that out over on his YouTube. I'll provide a link in the episode description. Another thing that I do with David from All Games New and Old 
and Tim from Board Game Hot Takes, and then Ryan from Mr. Rao Gaming, uh, is that once a month we get together and we play a game on BGA and stream it. And it is so much fun. You can go back and watch the last one we did was just earlier this week. We played Space Base and Race for the Galaxy. And it was probably the most entertaining one we've ever done because we were all just on one that night. Uh, It's very fun and funny. Lots of great conversations. So go check that out. Again, link in the episode description. And there will be a link to the Artisans of Splendent Vale pre-order page. So if you're interested in that, go check that out. And there's almost always links to my guests' social media or their projects in the episode description. So you can always just go and check there. And then, as always, there's my other podcast, Friend Info Adventure Co. It's an immaturely mature actual play podcast where we play the Borderlands style tabletop RPG, and we have a lot of fun doing it. But a lot of the times it gets over the top violent and uh, explicit. So listener discretion advised. And also, I've been added as an ambassador to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday segment over on the Cardboard Conjecture podcast. So you can go back and this last week, I talked about Wonderland's War. The week before that, I talked about Outer Rim, Unfinished Business. You can hear me there, along with so many other awesome content creators. All right, that's it. If you enjoyed the show, go rate and review it wherever you're listening to this from. Until next time, keep nerding out. When I first kind of moved up to where I'm living now in Roseville for FFG, I didn't really have any friends up here. And I made some friends with uh, someone who was actually an intern at uh, FFG. And we would get together and kind of play games every now and then just to kind of hang out. And one of the games we ended up playing is Suro. Uh, But because I like cooperative games, we just kind of developed a cooperative version of Suro where it's essentially the same game but you're trying to get everyone to survive until the end. Uh, And it's not really much of a game. It's kind of just like a thing that you're doing, you know, while you're just kind of catching up uh, because it's not really difficult or anything. Uh, But it's, it kind of became just like a really good opening to any kind of game night that we would have. We were just like, oh, let's just play this for a little bit and see if we can all manage to survive to the end. And it's such a low impact and just kind of like calming thing to do with friends uh, that I actually implemented something like that in uh, in Artisans. There's a, a scene where the characters in Artisans are kind of doing something similar to that, where they're just kind of playing some board games together just to be just to be friends with each other, essentially. Mm-hmm.